when I was 18, I just decided, I said, you know, I want to be an opera singer and then I want to run an opera company. Having really no idea what <laughs> what that type of journey might entail. Uh, you know, but I went to undergraduate school and I, I majored in music and minored in business. Um, not because I wanted a, a fallback, um, but because I was as interested in, you know, how we promote and bring arts and integrate arts into our communities in perpetuity and make it financially viable as, as I was in the art itself. That is Annie Burridge, who had a very specific vision for her future, and she made it come true. She is now the general director and CEO of Austin Opera, and I had a chance to catch up with her and talk about their opening opera, Pagliacci, as well as the rest of the season. How's everything going so far? It is going well. We just started rehearsals for Pagliacci on Monday. So that always makes life in the office a lot more exciting when we have all the artists here uh, rehearsing and singing. Oh, God. Yeah. I bet that really livens the place up. <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah. Does it, it picks up the energy. Does it also start to feel, I don't know, maybe like a lot, like a little more pressure? Um, It's really it's more excitement because now it's just everybody knows Everybody's got a part to play. You know, the, the tickets are selling, the events are planned. They're just, it's now it's just execution time. Um, and so it's exciting. Yeah. What is it like to work in a profession where everybody around you is like passionate about what they do? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a real privilege. And you can certainly find, uh, you know, I think institutions where that isn't the case, even in nonprofit or even in the arts. But here, everyone, you know, just has, they're so committed to this art form. Um, majority of my team, you know, have worked in opera for their entire lives. And they just, they love this art form. Um, and it, it is a challenging art form to produce because it is unbelievably expensive. Mm. Um, so it takes a lot of resourcefulness and creativity and tenacity and grit to keep putting these massive productions up on stage. But when when you do believe in in the value and the beauty and you know the value in bringing people together in these ways um, that only opera can yeah we we and we also we have a lot of fun while we're doing it here um, we find a way to to laugh through the challenges um, and you know really stop and take in those extraordinary moments where you just get to be in the middle of such um, incredible artistry. Yeah, that's pretty great. You make a good point. I don't know that a lot of people realize how expensive it is to uh, produce an opera. Yes, and mostly I mean, because all of our expenses are really skilled people, um, you know, costumers and opera singers flying in from all over the world. We have an orchestra, our own orchestra here in Austin. We have our own chorus here in Austin, uh, a huge crew that's behind the, the stage. You know, so our payroll will go from you know, 15, 20 people to, you know, over 200 people for the weeks that we're in production. Um, and because, you know, human talent has not become uh, more efficient or less expensive over the years, it's only <laughs> gone in the opposite direction. And I just, I don't see us, you know, replacing um, artists with robots anytime <laughs> soon. That's so a we have to keep, yeah. <laughs> So we have to keep, you know, finding more ways to, to garner support and money. And it's it's interesting the performing arts right now. Our expenses, whether you're looking at an opera or a theater or a symphony, in general, it's about 30% more to produce a season now than it was going into the pandemic. Wow. Well, and if you think about, you know, the expenses that you see 
every day, even going to the grocery store. It's not all that surprising. No. But it is, it's a different landscape coming out, which just calls for more collaboration, more resourcefulness, more creativity than ever. Yeah, that's true. With that, it's not surprising. You're right. But it does present other challenges. Well, especially, again, in opera, because it's such an expensive art form. You know, ticket sales have only ever covered 25% of the cost you know, of putting on a season. The rest is all philanthropy. Wow, I think people would be really surprised to learn that. Yes, that is um, an industry standard. Um, You'll find that in, you know, at any opera company in the U.S. and any city where uh, 70 to 75 percent of the revenue is coming from philanthropy. It's a, we have an interesting twist on that challenge here in Austin as we don't have really any institutional support. So, you know, in a city like Philadelphia, where I worked for nine years before coming here, you know, I could raise three or four million dollars every year from uh, local foundations, you know, that were exist to help support the arts in perpetuity, government entities, um, a little bit of corporate support here and there. You know, here in Austin, we're lucky to, you know, pull together maybe a hundred thousand dollars from those sources because mm. we just haven't had generations kind of investing in the classical arts here, although we've got lots of passionate people investing in them here now. Um, so it just means, you know, all of all of our revenue in a season is coming from individuals in Austin through ticket purchases and through their through their gifts. So it's a it's a really extra special experience to be in the theater with all those people as well. And I think that is unique about Austin audiences. Have you know, I tend to opera everywhere for a living and again worked in my hometown of Philadelphia for quite some time before coming here. And our audiences here, I mean they they come to the theater to enjoy, like they have a sense of how special it is to mount, to mount an opera and they come expecting to, to love it. And they cheer for it in a way that really helps us bring in, you know, some pretty famous artists who might not normally, we might not normally be able to get here in Austin, but they love to do um, roles for the first time here because we have such an appreciative audience. Yes. I'm so glad you pointed this out because it's really important for people uh, to realize, A, just how expensive it is, and B, just how important their support is. And I think that is something special about the Austin community. We're so much about supporting people doing things in the arts, doing that thing that they're passionate about, because we know how much it gives back to us in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I love being here. I'm so glad, Annie. Let's talk (laughs) a little bit more about your background. You mentioned um, that you're from Philadelphia. What was your journey? When did you know you wanted to make a life in opera? And I believe you were a performer before you um, switched to the administration side. So I'd love to hear all about that journey. I was. You know, I grew up um, in a family that loved classical music. Um, and so I you know, studied a lot of instruments very seriously. Um, my parents were always taking me to the Philadelphia Orchestra. And then my other love really was theater. You know, I grew up in a community theater and I loved being on stage. I loved uh, plays and musicals as much as I loved classical music. Um, And so that was all starting to kind of coalesce in this art form called opera as I was a teenager and starting to get really interested and excited about it. When I was 18, I just decided, I said, you know, I want to be an opera singer and then I want to run an opera company having really no idea what <laughs> what that type of journey might entail. Uh, you know, but I went to undergraduate school and I, I majored in music and minored in business, not because I wanted a, a fallback, um, but because I was as interested in, you know, how we 
promote and bring arts and integrate arts into our communities in perpetuity and make it financially viable as, as I was in the art itself. Um, and I did go to graduate school uh, for performance at the New England Conservatory. I did uh, a voice degree and an opera degree there. And then I sang for a few years and, you know, working in some opera companies and getting to do some young artist programs where you kind of are in residence with a company for for a long time. I was in residence, for example, with Des Moines Metro Opera for almost a year, um, which is a fantastic um, award-winning opera company in Iowa, of all places. Yeah, um, you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think, but it's been there for decades. They grab up a lot of the opera headlines every year with their festival. But you know, being in that environment and getting to see how the whole um, how the whole thing worked, you know, from outreach performances in school to how does the marketing work once the festival is gearing up. I just felt really strongly that I would have even more to add on the administrative side. And so I headed home to Philadelphia and I uh, started a graduate program at University of Pennsylvania in nonprofit administration. And that really helped kind of accelerate my leap from being on stage uh, to being an administrator. I just love that you had this specific vision and it came together. You made it happen. I know. Um, if I had known then what I know now, I don't know if I would have chosen <laughs> the same thing. No, I do. I do love it. It's, it's an incredible thing to, to, to work for and work toward every day. And so how did your journey in uh, working on the administrative side bring you to Austin? And also, how remarkable is it that you have been on stage? I think that is so the word that comes to mind is necessary. It must enhance the experience so much because you really understand it from the inside out. I think so. You know, I think I, I, I probably don't credit it as much as it's due in terms of how it informs, you know, how I do my job. I'm certainly grateful that, you know, I've been studying opera for so long that I know all the repertoire um, and, you know, I know how it comes together. But I do often hear from artists how much they appreciate yeah, a CEO who's, who's been a singer and who understands what that experience is like. You know, what are the, the great things about it? What are the, the challenges? What is reasonable to ask a singer to do in any one <laughs> given day? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they have often expressed that that does make Austin Opera um, a better place to work. And Making this a great place to work, it's really all we have in terms of competitive advantage. You know, we're a $5 million opera company, you know, compared to Houston, which is a $33 million company, um, or the Met, which is a $250 million company, and our artists sing on all of those stages. And so we have to keep this a really supportive, fun, special environment to bring artists here to do, to do works. And as I said, our audience helps as well. But I started Opera Philadelphia as their grant writer, which is a fantastic position to start in because you have to know and understand everything to be able to write about it in a way that compels, you know, funders to give you millions of dollars. And so um, anything I might not have known about opera and, and the business of putting on opera before I entered that job, I had to master it very, very quickly. And then I had a number of, of, of jobs there, and I ended my tenure there as the managing director, so I was responsible for all revenue for the company and was, you know, had a seat at the table when it came to season planning and artistic planning. And so I got to learn so much being there. And I did, I still wanted to be a general director. And after about nine years, 
this job came open. I had never been to Austin, Texas. I thought it sounded pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband is probably one of the first non-artist musicians I had ever dated. He is um, a brilliant project controls specialist who works on big civic engineering projects. And he said, hey, that's a growing city. You know, let's go. We can make a go of it there. Um, And so we moved here with our little girl. She was three at the time. And we love living here. I do. I love the the job of general director. It is never, ever boring. There is always connections to be made and money to be found and artistic planning to be done. And it just, it, it never, it never stops. And I just love the variety to every day. And as you pointed out at the beginning of this call, you get to interact with just really passionate people who all carry really a sense of gratitude just to be able to to do this every day, especially, you know, from our artists and musicians. They they really are grateful to, to have a life making art like this and sharing it with people, which is a lovely, a lovely environment to be in. For sure. And I get it because there is something so special about our arts community. We need our arts so much, just as much as we need the food that we eat and the air that we breathe. And I think we all sense the fragility that if we're not conscious and really protecting our arts that they could not be here for us one day. And so I think that's where the the real awareness here in the Austin community comes from, because we want to make sure that that we and our children always have access to this dynamic form of expression. I hope so. I mean, because you're seeing really concerning headlines across the country this summer. You know, um, a number of theater companies have halted their seasons have, you know, canceled their seasons altogether, um, canceled productions within their seasons. Everyone is just really grappling with the explosion of expense. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, everyone counted on that it could take some time to, to get attendance back, bring people back to the theater. Nobody really counted, I don't think, on having to work through that while dealing with, you know, expenses that have gone up by such a large stretch. I have some expense lines for example, like, you know, leasing our warehouse where we keep our costume shop and, and rent our tools. I mean, the, the rent there has gone up 117%. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have to move out of that warehouse. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think all kinds of arts organizations are, are feeling just the impact of this current environment, which does, you know, for those of us that have spent I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, it just makes you even more grateful when we are, you know, able to to perform the miracle of getting these beautiful things, you know, up on stage in front of thousands of people. Yes. Well, I think this is a good time to mention that if someone listening right now wants to make a financial gift to the Austin Opera, they can go to austinopera.org and do that quite quickly, safely and easily. So let's just put that right there. Thank you. That is that is absolutely correct. <laughs> yes, absolutely, Annie. So let's talk about Pagliacci and this upcoming season. Oh, uh, well, since the artists are on the other side of my wall, singing um, just the I- iconic music from Pagliacci that has been, you know, just immortalized in Rice Krispie commercials, <laughs> an episode of Seinfeld, you know, just the famous sad clown of Pagliacci. Um, I just love, I love this opera because it packs all the best of what opera has to offer. You know, the high emotion, the love, the passion, the lust the drama that drives us, you know, to do terrible, terrible things um, with terrible consequences. It just packs all of that into an 80-minute piece of art. 
So it's one of my very favorite operas. We have an astonishing cast. Our Kanyo, who's, uh, you know, the, the very famous iconic clown is played by Jonathan Burton and he sung, has sung this role all over the world. Um, but then his wife, Neda, uh, is sung by Haley Clark and this is the first time singing this role. Um, and Haley is an internationally famous soprano. She spends most of her time in Europe right now, although she is from the United States. Um, but, you know, the opportunity to do this role with someone like Jonathan Burton for the first time, you know, that's how we're able to get artists like her here in Austin, mm. um, which is so exciting. It's a um, beautiful, colorful production, you know, that will just rip your heart out with the sincerity of all of these characters um, as they share with you how their, you know, their, their deepest feelings and fears and desires. And as most people know, pretty tragic ending. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a total juicy love story. But yes, tragic ending. Yes. And I often feel like um, Pagliacci is like a good starter opera if people yes. have never been because it's not I that agree. long. And it's just like it's too delicious. There's so much happening. I agree. I think it is a perfect opera if you're just kind of finding your way in to opera. Carmen, which is will close out our season, is also another perfect first opera because you will recognize so much of the music. It's such a, a powerful tale of, of love and of jealousy. Again, ends in a similar manner, um, but, <laughs> you know, very moving. Actually, um, Pagliacci, you know, Leon Cavallo, who wrote the music and he wrote the words to it. Um, I just learned today for the first time from our um, fantastic director of education that this story, uh, his father, Leon Cavallo's father was a judge and he presided over a case of, of a murder similar to what happens in Pagliacci. So it still is, you know, real life wow. reflected in art, but taken to the highest of heights. Um, and of, of passion and heartbreak and, you know, very similar type of story with, with Carmen, which ends our season. Um, in the middle of our season at the Long Center, we are so excited to present Cruzar La Cara de la Luna. Uh, this is an opera that was commissioned 10 years ago in Houston, and this is a new version of the opera. It's a, a beautiful story, and it was originally written to be accompanied by Mariachi Vargas, by a mariachi band. Um, and so this is a new version of that opera that has a full opera orchestra um, with a mariachi trio. Oh, cool. And so musically, it's a very um, compelling combination of operatic singing, of ranchera singing, of, um, you know, classical orchestration, along with mariachi music to tell just a really beautiful story takes place in uh, Texas and Mexico. Um, it's a story of uh, a Mexican man who uh, moved to America for work, was separated permanently from his family as part of that process, as part of the um, difficulty of crossing. And at the end of his life, um, there's kind of a reconciliation between the family he had to leave behind in Mexico and the new family that he created in America. And it's a very beautiful intergenerational story that reflects the stories that so many people here in Texas experience having moved from Mexico or having moved from other places. And so we're really excited. It's also a brand new production um, that we put together with Minnesota Opera. So we already have a lot of folks booking tickets from out of town to come and see it because it will be it's premiering in Minnesota and then in Austin. 
and then we'll be seen in other places in North America. Oh, how great. What an extraordinary lineup you've put together. Thank you. And then we have another really special experience. So Ryan Speedo Green, who is um, as famous as famous guests right now in opera. He is starring in several of the Metropolitan Opera's kind of headlining productions and commissions, Ryan Speedo Green. Um, and he is coming into town in November to do uh, a recital at um, the new Austin PBS studio. They have a new studio there that can seat 400 people. And so that recital will be recorded live um, and then uh, played all over the country on PBS affiliates. So that's also like a really cool experience to be, um, you know, up close and personal with one of the most exciting opera singers of our day, one of the most internationally famous. Um, and you will get to be in the audience, maybe even caught on camera if you're lucky wow. um, in a, a recital um, that will be shared nationwide. So, yeah, it's, you know, we really try to build seasons that will, um, you know, satisfy a long time. Um, opera goers, give them something um, familiar, but also something new and different for them. We're also trying to bring in new opera lovers all the time, and we're having more and more success with that. Um, and so we're just trying to offer as many different things as we can to engage our community. We, we're, we are really fortunate in that we are one of the few, you know, performing arts organizations out there where our attendance has has grown um, mm -hmm. since the pandemic. Most people are seeing still, you know, maybe 70 to 80% of what their uh, pre-pandemic attendance was. And last season, we sold, um, we had more attendees than ever and more ticket revenue than ever. So we're just, we're just, we are honored and delighted that we seem to be uh, intriguing and capturing the, the interest of so many folks here in Austin. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the hunger for the live artistic experience, I would say. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad that we're having that experience here in Austin. When you talk about new opera lovers, what's the right age for parents to start bringing their kids to the opera? Typically, we say, you know, eight, nine, or 10 is a, is a great age to start attending the opera. We create young people's guides for every opera that we do that you can find on our website. So you can, you know, really kind of prepare your kid for the first experience that you're going to have together at the opera. We also have companion tickets. So if you are an adult and you would like to bring someone under the age of 18 with you to the opera, you can buy a ticket wherever you want, and we'll give you the ticket next to you for $15 if it's for a kid. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So we just want to make it as um, easy as possible to introduce young folks to opera. We bring thousands of kids in from schools to our final dress rehearsals. Um, so a lot of kids in Austin get to experience opera the, for the first time through that program that we have. But we also love when parents bring their, their kids in. I mentioned that I have a, a daughter who was three when we moved to Austin, so she is now 10. She is actually in Pagliacci. Oh, fun. Um, the, yes, the director for this production. So the story really centers on this Commedia dell'arte troupe and Kanyo, who is the, the famous clown, and, and Nedda, and their very turbulent marriage. And our director, brilliant director, Tara Faircloth, could never really reconcile how, why would Nedda stay with a man who was, who was abusive? and so unkind. And so she adds to the show uh, a little girl oh. who um, keeps her there um, and keeps her as part of the acting company 
And so my daughter actually made her professional stage debut at the Zach Theater last year. And so she's very excited to do her first opera. There's also a children's chorus in this opera and a children's chorus and Carmen. So there will be kids. Um, there will be kids on the stage. <laughs> Cruzar is also like a wonderful family opera to bring uh, kids to for the first time. Very cool. I'm so glad you mentioned that because the stories behind opera, you know, I think a lot of people just aren't familiar with them. For me, I didn't get like intrigued by it until I was in college and I read for an anthropology class. I had to read opera oh, cool. or the undoing of woman. Yeah. And so that that was a wonderful introduction to like, wow, look at these stories and look what's going on. And everyone loves story. We're so fascinated by it. And and the stories in opera are all just like magnificent and over the top. It's like it's drama, drama, drama. And then, you know, there are some things that are unexpectedly, I think, quite funny. And I wonder what your thoughts are on people who have been maybe felt intimidated by the whole idea of opera and haven't yet experienced it. Like how, how what would you say to someone who's like thinking about it and like, yeah, I don't think I want to go because I don't think I'm going to like it, even though they have no idea. I know. Um, and we encounter that a lot. I think it's always, always great to remind folks um, that while opera is often in another language, the translations are always projected above the stage with super titles. So you will always know what is going on on stage, um, even if the opera is in Italian, like it is in Pagliacci. You don't even really need the super titles to understand what's going on because um, the music and, and the acting and what you're seeing on stage tells you that story as well. And I just, I think it's such, especially here in Austin, it's such a welcoming experience. We've got some folks love to use the occasion of the opera to get really dressed up, but we have just as many folks who come in jeans because they really want to be comfortable mm. and just feel immersed in, in the music and block out the rest of the world while we've got audience members who are there because they want to see the rest of the world and see their friends um, and enjoy an experience like this together. So it is a really friendly, really fun crowd um, to, come see, to come see an opera with. That is so great. I love that. Uh, it's a very Austin thing to do. Like anything goes, just, you know, get yeah, all dressed exactly. up or come as you are. I love it about this town. Yes. <laughs> and the thing that I also find so fascinating is that people really know more about opera than they think they know. Like it's it's in popular culture everywhere. There's a wonderful scene in Driving Miss Daisy with Song to the Moon. And then the Shawshank Redemption is another one that comes to mind. And maybe people don't know anything about Il Travatore, but when they hear the Anvil Chorus, they're like, oh my God, I've heard that a hundred places. Like it, opera really exactly. is so mainstream and it's just not, it, I, I think people just aren't aware really. Exactly. Yes. I mean, opera is the soundtrack track to much more than opera. <laughs> it's yes. the soundtrack to so much of our popular culture um, because it is such fantastic music with so much drama built into it. Um, so, yes. And if you come this season, you will definitely recognize some tunes without a doubt. Yeah, no question about it. So let's remind everybody that Pagliacci is November 4th and November 5th. You can get tickets right now at austinopera.org. And if you don't think you're going to be in town, but you want to support opera, you can make a financial gift also at austinopera.org. Annie, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing with us what's going on in Austin Opera. And I just can't wait for the season. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Juliet. 
I'm Juliet, and I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Annie Burridge of the Austin Opera. And I hope you'll come find me on the radio in Austin, Texas at Magic 95.5. Don't worry if you don't live close by. You can always stream it live on the free Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. And I'll see you on the radio.